Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in our last program, you were talking about the existence of many different accounts of a global flood in the records of cultures and peoples other than the Hebrews. That's right, Scott. Numerous records exist spanning the entire earth. They are very different in many ways. However, each also have some remarkably similar details to the Genesis account. So specific that it is obvious that the stories have a common source. Exactly. But the skeptics claim that source is not the Bible, but rather the Genesis account is copied from some other source, most often said to be the Babylonian stories in the Gilgamesh epic. And we looked at the Babylonian quote-unquote Noah Mm -hmm. in the Gilgamesh epic. His name was Utna Pishtim. (laughs) Now, what the Babylonian tablets recorded in cuneiform script was... Gilgamesh was seeking a way to obtain eternal life, and he heard about this man, Utnapishtim, who survived the worldwide flood that destroyed all human life on earth. So Gilgamesh asked Utna his secret. Dr. Scripture, speaking of Gilgamesh, and I know this is a little bit off the subject because Utna, not Gilgamesh, is the person equivalent to Noah in the Babylonian epic— But I mentioned to you after our last program that I've heard that Josephus actually wrote in his Jewish antiquities that Gilgamesh was Nimrod, who is named in Genesis chapter 10. Were you familiar with that? Well, Scott, I had heard that before, but never pursued it. So since you had asked, I did some research and found some fascinating information about that idea that the Gilgamesh of the Babylonian poetry is the same person as Nimrod of the Bible. And we're going to find that it's not off-subject at all. In fact, the information about Gilgamesh and Nimrod also confirm that the biblical account of the flood and the Babylonian story have the same source. I found an excellent article written in 2003 by Dr. David Livingston titled, Who Was Nimrod? And he includes a quote from Josephus' Antiquities, Book 1, Chapter 4, which I checked out myself. So I'm going to read what Livingston has to say. Quote, How does Gilgamesh compare with Nimrod? Josephus says of Nimrod, Now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man and of great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it were through his means that they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured their happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God but to bring them into a constant dependence upon his own power. He also said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again. For that, he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying his forefathers. Livingston goes on then to explain, What Josephus says here is precisely what is found in the Gilgamesh epics. Gilgamesh set up tyranny, he opposed Yahweh, and did his utmost to get people to forsake him. I'll stop reading Livingston's work there. That 
is amazing, Dr. Scripture, and much of it has an aura of truth about it. Mm -hmm. That part about Gilgamesh building a tower so high, if God sent a second flood, the water could not reach the top of it? That would explain a purpose for the Tower of Babel, different from what I've heard and always assumed to be true, that it was a ziggurat to be used for astrology. Well, that most likely was at least part of its function. But something I never considered the significance of was how they built the tower. Scott, read Genesis 11.3. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. It seems like them using tar would have made it water-resistant, wouldn't it? Yeah. And in verse 4, what the people specifically state is, they are building the tower so the top will reach into heaven. Listen to what it says. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. That Hebrew word translated heaven there is Shemayim. So it can mean the sky or space. I've always interpreted it to be referring more to space. In other words, it was referring to the stars. That's where that idea of the purpose of the tower being astrology or the religion that was based on the stars, Zoroastrianism, comes from. But perhaps it should be understood to simply mean the atmosphere, the sky. They wanted a tower high enough to survive the water if God sent another flood. And what kind of flood would that be? A global flood. Well, that's what I think. And that is the key factor which almost every extra-biblical story supports. That is, the idea that what the Bible states clearly, the flood was global and killed all people except Noah and his family, and all the land animals except those on the ark, is remembered by all peoples, not just the Israelites. But it's the Hebrew account that was accurately written down and preserved. The other accounts that were passed on after the flood and distributed among the different nations and cultures that developed have distorted and corrupted to varying degrees. Yet they all have details signifying their connection to the original source. And I want to point out one more detail that seems to connect the character of Gilgamesh with Nimrod. The name Nimrod actually means, we will revolt. <laughs> and though we get very little description of Nimrod in the Bible, that name fits Gilgamesh perfectly. So, we see another connection between the Bible's account of the flood and its aftermath and the Babylonian story, that is, the Tower of Babel. In the Bible, we're told, that as a result of the rebellion of the people after the flood, God confuses the language of the people. And connected to many of the flood legends is the explanation for where the different languages came from. Well, yes, you mentioned that at the end of the first program about the flood legends of the world. I'd like to hear more about that. Okay, so before we do that, I will mention the two examples we discussed last time. First, we discussed the Babylonian flood legend and we considered the details it has in common with the Hebrew account. And the other culture we talked about last time was the Greek legend. Now, I think we should mention this information can be found in the book written by Charles Martin titled Flood Legends, Global Clues of a Common Event. So the next culture we'll look at is the Casca Indians of British Columbia. I'm going to read from Charles Martin's book, and his summary of the Casca legend, quote, 
There was once a flood which covered the whole world. The sky grew very dark and the winds kicked up fiercely. Some people quickly took canoes and others quickly built rafts. And when the wind came, it separated the people, blowing them every which way. When the waters finally receded, the people all found that they had landed far from each other so that not one family could see another. When the earth became dry enough to build upon, they settled where they had landed. Most people probably thought they were the only ones who had survived. Many years later, when they finally did begin to meet other people, everyone discovered that no one spoke the same language. This is the reason that there are so many tribes and languages. Before the flood, you see, there was but one tribe, and everyone lived together and spoke the same language. Mm. Unquote. Now, obviously, there are a number of significant differences between the Casca legend and the Bible. Many families survived the flood, but it still was a global flood. The idea of surviving in a canoe or on a raft is silly, yep. but still, the survivors did so on some sort of watercraft. And as I pointed out, in this legend of the Casca Indians, who live far from the Middle East or Europe, they include the dispersion after the flood and the cause behind all the different languages on the earth. Dr. Scripture, I thought it was interesting that the Casca story specifically pointed out that they had to wait until the earth was dry enough to build on. And not only is the receding of the flood water described in Genesis chapter 8, but the time it took for the land to dry enough so that Noah and his family could inhabit the land is recorded. That's a good observation, Scott. There was quite a bit of detail related to the process of the earth drying out in Genesis. Remember how Noah determined that? He sent out a raven and then a dove. Exactly. And I think in order to show the reasonableness of the biblical account, in contrast to what generally are nonsensical descriptions in so many of the details in the other stories, I want to read the record in Genesis 8, verses 6 through 12 about Noah using the birds. I'll start Genesis 8, 6. Then it came about at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. And the dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. And then verse 12, Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Now I submit that is all very sensible and believable. And when other legends include details similar to what is written in Genesis, but they don't make sense, it is because the other version distorted the accurate, true, original account recorded in the Bible. For example, another culture that has a flood legend is the Qingpaws of Upper Burma. So these people are in the Asian continent between China and India. I'll read their legend as related in Charles Martin's book. Quote, Once upon a time, a man named Nan Chuang and his sister Chang Kyo built a large boat to save themselves from the deluge. 
They had with them nine roosters and nine bone needles. Hmm. After the storm had raged for many days, they threw over one rooster and one needle to see if the waters had subsided. The rooster did not crow, however, and though they listened, the needle was not heard to hit the bottom. Each day they did the same thing. Finally, on the ninth day, the rooster crowed, and they heard the needle strike the bottom of the water. Shortly thereafter, they were able to leave the boat, unquote. Now, there's more to the Qingpaw flood legend, but from what we read, even though it's bizarre, we see this specific connection between the Hebrew and Qingpaw accounts. It's the use of birds to assess the recession of the floodwaters, as well as several other details. And referring back to the Gilgamesh epic, Utna uses a dove, a swallow, and a raven to determine if there's dry land yet. Well, Dr. Scripture, now you've mentioned two other cultures that have flood legends, the Chingpaws of Burma and the Casca Indians of British Columbia. I know there are many more than four cultures and peoples who have flood legends, but we're out of time in today's program, so I assume you'll share more of this fascinating subject next time. I will indeed, Scott. But to close for today, we talked about some things that may or may not have been true concerning Nimrod. Let's read what the biblical account has to say about him. Information we can be certain is true. Genesis 10, 8 through 10 says, Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. And that's not what the Gilgamesh epic says. That's what scripture says.